begin with the Pledge of Allegiance, please. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, good morning. Is there a public comment that would like to be stated at the onset here? Seeing none, uh, we'll close public comment. Move on to meeting minutes and review. Have approval of the minutes of the February 13th meeting. There's a motion to approve. Second. Motion to approve and a second. Any discussion? Seeing none, minutes are approved as written. Uh, Mr. Wisnowski, updates from legislation and legal matters. Yes, I'm going to have my uh, associate, Amy Wardock, come and speak to you. Good morning. Good morning. So um, we have closed the citizen-sponsored text amendment and map amendment period and received four applications for text amendments. Uh, one of them is uh, specific to the resource conservation area to allow for accessory dwelling units. Uh, this was a state provision that was never adopted locally. Therefore, there is no provision in our current code that allows a resident to have an accessory dwelling unit in the resource conservation district. So this amendment uh, really just comes in line with the minimum state standard. Uh, there's also an application in the Graysonville Village uh, uh, Commercial District, in the Graysonville um, Neighborhood Commercial District that addresses a lot width standard, bringing it in line with um, the minimum standards uh, in the code. There's a proposal to add definitions to the stormwater management um, section of the ordinance that would uh, bring those definitions in line with um, state standards and guidance manuals. Um, and there's also a proposal to update the definition of the resort hotel in terms of uh, rental, the rental policy. Uh, those amendments have been forwarded to you officially uh, by the county commissioners as of their meeting this Tuesday night, and you will see those applications in full detail at your April meeting. Um, in addition, the uh, commissioners have asked uh, the staff to draft um, legislation relative to the collection of impact fees. And so the commissioners have sponsored that legislation, and you will also see that um, proposal at your April meeting. And a few other um, outstanding text amendments that will be coming soon. I don't know if they'll be ready for April, but in the near future, uh, we will be finalizing the food truck legislation that we started some time ago. Uh, it's the season, and we really do need to get that before you to wrap it up. Uh, and also, you'll be seeing an amendment that is staff-sponsored that addresses our um, alcoholic production facilities uh, in the agriculture and um, our agriculture definition. We have a de we have a winery definition. We have a micro grow brewer, farm brewery definition, what we don't have is a provision that addresses distilleries. And I think that was an unintentional oversight, but it certainly uh, is necessary for us to come in line because there is, is a need. And also uh, there's a lot of competition elsewhere 
in the state, and we want to make sure that our residents have that opportunity. So uh, that is my legislative update. There's also a legal matter that I'm going to defer to uh, Mr. Drummond, and that's just an update on uh, House Bill 1390, uh, Senate Bill 741, which uh, Queen Anne's County has opposed, and uh, Mr. Drummond has drafted a letter and can speak to that issue. Well, that's in the nature of legislation. It's just not in the county. It's at the state level. Um, since uh, we last met, uh, I became aware that there is a cross-filing bill. bill. It's S- SB 741 and House Bill 1390, um, sponsored uh, by a senator uh, from Montgomery County and a delegate from Montgomery County. Um it, among other things, would uh, provide that the uh, applicants for utility-scale solar that require a certificate of public uh, convenience and need would not be obliged to seek local zoning approvals or what is described as local discretionary zoning approvals uh, as part of a CPCN application, and that the Public Service Commission would not be, could not uh, deny uh, or penalize, if that's the right word, uh, the applicant for not going through a local discretionary zoning approval process. Uh, the meaning of discretionary zoning approval uh, is not clear, but it would clearly include conditional use applications, um, what other counties call special exception applications. Not clear whether it applies to site plan applications, but there's a peculiarity at the at the end of the bill that I'll get to in a minute that makes the what I just described a, a complete head scratcher. Um, the bill also uh, would oblige the Public Service Commission to uh, come up with statewide, quote, commercially reasonable setbacks and buffering requirements, end quote, for utility-scale solar. Um, Commercially reasonable is not defined. the bill calls upon the Public Service Commission to adopt regulations establishing these statewide standards by October 1st of 2020, which, of course, is when the bill would become effective if it's passed. Um, uh, finally, uh, relevance to the counties is that the bill would says that counties may not, quote, unreasonably withhold, end quote, um, or delay, site plan approval uh, of a utility-scale solar project, which, of course, is, I think, a discretionary zoning approval, which the beginning part of the bill says they don't have, they don't have to go through. Um, but the bill also doesn't say what happens if a county does, quote-unquote, unreasonably withhold or delay site plan approval. Um, uh, the bill certainly was drafted um, by um, the solar industry. Um, 
I mean, I can say that because I've spoken to an attorney who represents the solar industry, and I, and I know from him that that's what happened. He didn't identify the drafter, but he claimed it wasn't him. Um, the sponsors of the bill, uh, Senator Feldman and Delegate Brooks, have indicated to MACO, Maryland Association of Counties, <coughs> that they are not interested in changing the bill. Um, it has had a hearing in the Senate and in the House. Um, no votes are on it on, in either body yet. MACO, once it was alerted to the provisions of the bill, which it had overlooked, fortunately, um, has now officially opposed it. And they and uh, Mako did send a, a Les Knapp, who's the legislative guy at uh, Mako, did testify against it in the House last week. I was scheduled to go. Unfortunately, I couldn't go because I had some something else I couldn't move. Um, Jay Falstead uh, testified in opposition. I, th- I think there was one or two others. I'm not sure. Um, clearly, the solar industry has rallied behind it, and it's had people testifying. Um, I sent a letter to the uh, Public Utilities Subcommittee of the House Economic Matters Committee explaining why the bill was uh, either didn't make sense or was an overreach and why the Public Service Commission certainly shouldn't be engaged in land use planning, why statewide setbacks and landscaping requirements certainly don't make any sense. I mean, you know, a, a solar array on the side of I-70 in Montgomery County is a lot different than a solar array on, you know, the side of Route 304 in Queen Anne's County. Um, so we'll see. Um, I have the impression from speaking to the MAKO folks that uh, because there are only one, there's only one sponsor in each house that they're hopeful that it might not get out of committee, but just that hope. Huh? It's just that a hope. Um, can you do you mind repeating those bill numbers for me, please? SB seven forty one and HB thirteen ninety. Thank you. Can't hurt to uh, send in some comments. You know which committees they're assigned to. House Economic Matters Committee. I can't remember what the Senate committee is. I'll, I can, I'll get it and find out. You can look it up. It's okay. Transportation, maybe. <clears throat> Unfortunately, on the, the Public Utilities Subcommittee of the House Environmental and Economic Matters Committee, the, there is a local delegate. Uh, by local, I mean it's Johnny Mounts, who's from Talbot County in Dorchester County. I think he's the only member on the Eastern Shore. I think, of the subcommittee. Thank you, Mr. Drummond. Just checking to see if I had notes as to which committees it was in, and I don't. I can look it up. You're all finished? I am. Excellent. Any questions for anyone? All right. Excellent. Okay, moving right along then. Uh, starting with the projects, major site plan, SP19-10-0042, Wells Cove Development. Uh, the applicant's requesting final site plan approval. Uh, 
Mr. Tarleton, the floor is yours. Sure, yeah. I just wanted to note the change in the agenda to uh, move the extension items to the end and uh, bump up the development review uh, request for site plan approval and uh, major subdivision approval due to the fact that uh, Perry's Retreat is in here for a revised plan for a 156-lot subdivision. Uh, the previous iteration of their plan that was approved at a 128-lot subdivision is also up for an extension in the same meeting time frame, so we moved it to the end uh, because if the applicant does receive final subdivision approval in this meeting, the extension would no longer be necessary for the 128-lot subdivision proposed. So that's why there's that change in your agenda items currently. Um, moving on to uh, Site Plan 1910-0042, uh, Wells Cove 2 LLC. Uh, the agent is Tom Davis with DMS and Associates. Uh, the property is located at uh, Mat 57, Parcel 341, Lot 2, uh, comprised of approximately 1.715 acres on the south side of Main Street, uh, Route 18, in the southeast quadrant of the Kent Narrows, east of Wells Cove Road. Um, the property is zoned uh, WVC and identified as IDA in the critical area designations. Uh, as stated previously, the applicant's looking for final site plan approval, um, but also proposing to withdraw the third amendment of what is major site plan 05050500006 that proposed a five-unit condominium building and reverting back to the second amendment of the plan or iteration of the plan that proposed the four-unit condominium building and proposing uh, additional modifications to that second amended site plan. So what you're seeing before you is an amendment to the second amended site plan, which is 05050006. And if you need clarification on that, I can certainly provide more. <laughs> Uh, moving on, here's just an overview of uh, vicinity map of where the property is located. Uh, as stated previously, it is in the southeast quadrant of the Kenton Arrows. Um, the property identified here, highlighted in the black line, is uh, parcel 341, lot 2, shown in the WVC zoning district. Um, you can see the breakout orange lines in the property with the identification of lot 2 throughout. That is because this is also a, a condominium uh, plat for the separate units. Um, to the left there, you can see what was originally phase one of this project, which is the Hilton Garden Inn. Um, phase two encompasses the entire commercial unit condominium that you see in the top left corner of the development. And um, to the south, you can see the already constructed four-unit condominium there. Um, here is the critical area designation map. As you can see, everything in red is designated IDA. Um, yellow is LDA, and uh, the green there in the bottom corner is RCA. This property clearly falls within the IDA designation. Um, existing improvements, uh, the majority of the site is pretty much built out aside from these four condominium units that were proposed as part of a revision for the second amendment of the site plan. Um, the second amendment to the site plan also included some modifications to the uh, proposed uh, or existing pool, rather, and some of the parking area as well that you can see is already constructed. Um, the area that we're talking about here today is this small portion here where the proposed four-unit condominiums will actually be. Um, here's just a, a, a brief overlay of exactly where those condominiums would be situated on the property from an aerial extent. Um, you can see outlined in black there they would take up the majority of what is that condo plat there uh, existing in a similar configuration of what's already existing for the other four condominiums. Um, and here's just an improvement detail of what those condos would look like laid out on the property. Um, 
with the uh, driveway entering into the garage, uh, the condos themselves in a, in a staggered fashion up to the boardwalk, and you can see the proposed deck and stairway entering to that boardwalk area below. Um, that, that boardwalk area in front of those slips there is actually a, a public access easement because those slips are rented or leased, I believe. Um, here's an overview of what is existing landscaping and proposed landscaping for the condo units. Obviously, the landscaping uh, within the red circular area there is proposed as part of this construction as it will go in after the condo units are constructed. Um, the highlighted gray areas around the site is the existing landscaping that was already provided um, for the previous iteration of the site plan. Um, those improvements are all there. We have an inspector that's going out to inspect that prior to uh, final signature of this plan to ensure that all landscaping is installed adequately. Um, just a little overview of parking for Lot 2. Uh, based on the uses designated on the site, uh, Lot 2 requires 76 spaces. Um, there are 68 provided on Lot 2. Uh, there's a note on the site plan on the first page that also shows uh, a joint easement uh, with the Hilton Garden Inn site that allows for additional parking on that site um, for individuals using any of the facilities on Lot 2 here as well. Um, and then the existing paved parking you see out here in the drive aisles consists of 56 spaces, and the additional 12 spaces are provided in the garages for the condo units themselves. Um, just a breakdown of some residential site statistics and overall site statistics for Lot 2. As stated previously, the uh, gross site area is 1.715 acres. Uh, the area reserved for commercial development, which is the commercial condo units, is 0 0.465 acres, uh, meaning that the base residential site area is 1.25 acres. Uh, the WVC allows for uh, 10 dwelling units per acre, which means they would possibly be able to construct 12 dwelling units. In this case, there's eight existing and proposed. There's four existing and uh, four proposed with this iteration of the site plan. Um, and the minimum open space required for the WVC for that mixed-use development is 30%, meaning that it would be approximately 0.375 acres based on the 1.25-acre base site area. Um, the applicant's proposing to provide 0.383 acres of open space. Um, just for overall calculations, their uh, previously approved site plan um, allowed for 1.333 acres of lot coverage. The existing lot coverage is 1.205. Um, proposed as part of this development, it would result in 1.327 being under what was originally approved with the site plan. Um, and the landscape area existing today is 0 0.510 acres, and landscaping proposed would be 0.388 acres. Uh, building elevations, the permitted height here is uh, 45 feet. The condos are proposed to be a height of 44 feet. You can see here on the left side you have the waterfront view of the condos, and on the right side you have the Route 18 view of the condos. And here are the side elevations, both similar, um, just for your viewing as well. Uh, moving on to what is the existing condos, as you can tell, the, uh, the, the plans provided for the elevation drawings are, are strikingly similar to these. The applicant has indicated that the materials, the colors, and all of those sorts of design guidelines will basically mimic what is existing there today with these four condo units. So what you're looking at here is the waterfront side of the existing condo units with the landscaping already installed. Um, here you have the uh, front-facing uh, MD Route 18. Um, 
pictures taken from the parking area facing those buildings with the landscape islands in the parking areas included in the photographs. Um, then here are the side views. The one on your left is facing um, from the uh, existing dock or the uh, pool area. That fence there is the actual pool area for the facility. And then the one there on your right is actually from the pad site for the proposed four condo units looking at the side of that exist existing building. Excuse me. Um, for consistency with the comp plan, uh, based on our comp plan land use map here, we have the area designated within the Kent Narrows planning area. Um, and then within the Kent Narrows community plan, you can see here um, the actual condo units actually shown up there in the right or the left highlighted corner rather for our proposed buildings. Uh, this map was generated in 05. That's when this plan was originally going through the process. So that's how long it's <laughs> been around that it actually shows up in the, um, in the community plan maps. Um, and then here you can see the, the property that we're talking about is actually highlighted in pink, um, designated as mixed-use development, just to show consistency there with what this project is proposing. Um, that's all I have for you. Um, if you have any questions for me or you'd like me to go back to any slides, I'd be happy to. Questions for staff? Mr. Davis. Thank you. Uh, Tom Davis with DMS and Associates. Uh, some of the Planning Commission members probably remember this from previous uh, reviews there in 2015-2016. I've been working on this project since 2004, so this is the, the final piece of the puzzle. Uh, and essentially, as Brennan indicated, we're kind of reverting back to the uh, amended site plan phase two from, uh, I think, 2007. Uh, that was about the time the economy took a tank. Uh, then uh, Mr. Thompson proposed the five-unit building, which was approved by the Planning Commission, and that stalled and that site plan actually expired. So we're basically just going back to Amendment Number 2, which is the four units. As Brennan indicated, all utilities are in, uh, the parking's in, so it's, it's pretty much just an infill of the final pad of the, uh, the development. Unfortunately, uh, the builder, Jason Smucker of Smucker Homes, and uh, my clients, Wells Cove, uh, too, could not make it today. But uh, it's pretty straightforward. The intent is to basically build what was previously approved and consistent with the existing four-unit uh, condominium building there. So I'd be glad to answer any questions. Questions for the applicant's agent? Uh, review the parking again. The number of spaces that were uh, it, the the project was actually developed as a joint uh, development. Uh, Walt Thompson originally developed the Hilton Garden Inn, then he purchased what was a property called Scott Marine, which is, this property actually used to be a full scale marina. And basically, there's shared parking agreements between the Hilton Garden Inn site and this site uh, that provide the total parking for all uses. Uh, of both the Hilton Garden Inn, the marina, and these uh, condominium buildings. So there's 56 parking spaces in the in the uh, paved parking area, and there's parking that be provided in the garages. And then again, there's a shared agreement uh, with the parking there on the uh, uh, west side of the, uh, the existing commercial uh, mixed-use building and pool. This includes the parking spaces over the Hilton Garden. The overall plan originally was proposed approved like that and then we came back and, and reworked it so that this is a separate lot of record but there's a shared parking agreement between the two parcels mm -hmm. when you say garages mr davis those are the unit garages that yes. are on the first floor yes yes, yes. Yeah. 
Anything else? All right, I will entertain motion. Um, sorry. Public comment. Public comment. Is there a public comment? Excuse me. Seeing none. I move that we resolve that the Planning Commission regarding the request by Wells Cove 2 LLC to amend Amendment 2 of the Major Site Plan number 05050500006 to construct a four-unit condominium in Kent Narrows and as more particularly described in the Department of Planning and Zoning file SP 19100042 hereby finds the proposal is consistent with plans for uses in the WVC zone and has received um, an exemption from critical areas requirements consistent with its being in the intensely developed area and three increases vegetation on property on the property um, and hereby grants final site approval plan approval with the following conditions. One, the building will be constructed in a substantially consistent manner with the architectural drawings and elevations provided, as well as being substantially consistent with the existing buildings as stated. Two, the applicant will adhere to the conditions of approval of the floodplain variance from the Board of Appeals. Three, all required bond sureties review and inspection fees must be submitted to the Department of Public Works and the Department of Planning and Zoning as appropriate. Four, a letter must be obtained from the APF administrator indicating that the proposed project is exempt from the requiring an APF study. Five, any remaining edits and or documents required by the Department of Public Works and the Department of Planning and Zoning be reviewed and approved. Six, any required legal documents must be approved, signed, and recorded. Seven, all required signatures must be approved, must be obtained. Motion. Is there a second? Second. Motion and a second. Further discussion? All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Abstentions. Congratulations. Thank you. Next up, uh, Major Subdivision Sub 05-14-05-0006, Perry's Retreat, Walter Properties, LLC. Uh, the applicant is requesting final subdivision approval. Mr. Tarleton, back to you, sir. Sure. Um, just to clarify on this one, Tom had pointed this out to me prior to the meeting, um, but there were a few notes left in here referencing uh, several attachments. Those were just leftover comments from the preliminary staff report that I had failed to delete out of there, so there were no actual physical attachments to go with the staff report you received for this. So there's nothing missing from the staff report. There was just a simple mistake of not deleting some references uh, within the staff report itself. Just to clear up anything, if you had any questions before I started. Um, so here we're starting with uh, subdivision 1405-0006. Uh, the property owner is Walter Properties, LLC, developer Elm Street Development. Uh, and the agent here is uh, Kevin Sheeran with DMS and Associates. Uh, the properties we're dealing with are identified as uh, MAP 58H, parcel 208 or 201 A and B, uh, MAP 64, uh, parcels 45 and 46. Uh, the acreage of the property is uh, roughly 110.89 acres. The property is located on the east side of Perry's Corner Road in Graysonville. Uh, the zoning district is uh, GPRN, Graysonville Plan Residential Neighborhood. 
And as stated, uh, the applicant is proposing to administratively combine uh, parcels 46, 45, 46, 201A, 201B into two parcels, uh, 40, 45 and 201, um, donate parcel 45 to Queen Anne's County, and to subdivide parcel 201 into 156-lot single-family subdivision using the cluster subdivision technique. Uh, the applicants here before you today, uh, also an error, I forgot to update this, uh, requesting final site plan approval for the entire 156-lot subdivision. Uh, here you can see just the general location of the property itself. Um, the uh, highlighted in black area is the overall entirety of what will be parcels 45 and 201 <coughs> after the administrative subdivision is completed. You can see the existing property lines highlighted there in orange. Um, critical area designation, there are portions of this property that are designated as RCA. Uh, none of the applicants' proposed improvements for the development are to take place within the critical area designated areas. Um, the site statistics still remain the same from the previous uh, iteration of the preliminary plan that you saw. The, uh, the parcel sizes are not going to change as part of the administrative subdivision. The applicant is still working through the process of obtaining that final administrative subdivision through the, the county now. Um, so unless you have questions on that, I'll just kind of skip through some of these slides. I just wanted to leave them in there in case you did have questions. Um, here we have the, uh, the forest conservation plan that's proposed. The, the conservation threshold is 17.33 acres, again, the same as the last iteration of the plan. Um, the forest clearing permitted would be 54.79 acres. The forest to be cleared as part of this proposed development in that hatched area you can see, or cross-hatched area that you can see, is 39.51 acres. Uh, and the forest to be retained on site is 54.79 acres, and the app applicants proposing to protect the required 17.33 uh, acres shown in the uh, darker shaded area to the bottom right corner there. Um, here's a, an update from what the preliminary plan did propose from the applicant. They did update their phasing numbers as part of this project. You can see the phasing lines within the plan view here. Phase one was proposed at 46 lots previously and is still proposed at 46 lots. Um, phase two is now bumped up to 54 lots and phase three uh, to accommodate 50, the remaining 56 lots, therefore getting to your 156 lot total. Um, all of the site statistic calculations remain the same. This is just, a, I guess, the, an edit the applicant has provided based on um, what they've requested for phasing for this project. Um, here's the overall improvements for what would be consistent of uh, phase one. You can see here it includes the, the first 46 lots as well as the road improvements to accommodate access to those lots um, and the additional improvements for that park area that's proposed as part of this project as well. Uh, moving on, here's phase two. The dotted area would be what is the improvements of phase one. Um, the solid line area that you're seeing here is the 56 lots of phase two or 54 lots of phase two. And then here would be the final build-out of what is phase three, uh, encompassing the <coughs> remainder of the 56 lots here as well as the um, boat, RV, and storage area there to the southeast. Here's just an overview of the plan build-out, um, just to kind of give you an idea of where it would be situated on the property. 
and here are the uh, existing wetlands maps that we have from the state. Um, I think as stated previously in the preliminary plan, the applicant is proposing um, some wetland disturbance. Uh, they do have a permit already in hand for that disturbance that is valid until 2023. Um, and here, just an overview of the GPRN standards that you had uh, found consistency with in the preliminary review of the plan. These have not changed from the preliminary review of the plan, so the uh, Seventy-five percent of the proposed development requiring to be single-family residential use. Um, the applicant's proposing 100 percent single-family residential, so they're consistent with that. Uh, maximum density would be 3.1 or 3.5 dwelling units per acre. Uh, based on the plans here, we have an average of 1.6 dwelling units per acre, and 25 percent of the total site area has to be comprised of open space, with 10 percent being recreational use open space. Those site statistics were provided on the previous slide to show that the applicant complies with those as, those as well. Um, and then the uh, design standards proposed or the bulk standards proposed for the applicant's uh, lot layouts here. We have a, a minimum lot area of 6,000 square feet, uh, minimum lot frontage of 45 feet, uh, impervious area per lot is proposed at 38 percent. Um, front setbacks being 15 feet, side setbacks being 5 feet, rear setbacks being 20 feet. Um, again, the applicant has not specified a building height for these buildings. Um, if the Planning Commission so chooses, you could add a restricted building height to this as well, since the Planning Commission is the decision-making body on the design standards in the GPRN zoning designation. Here's just a general overview of a lot layout. Um, this is a portion of what is going to be phase one. Um, it just kind of gives you an idea of where the building restriction lines would exist within these lots. Highlighted in red is the actual building restriction lines proposed, so the uh, building footprint area would be encompassed within those highlighted red areas. Um, the proposed entrance feature has not changed from the previous one. The applicant's proposing a boulevard-style entrance with, a, um, with an ingress area to the right there and then an egress area from the left uh, with a traffic circle going into the development itself. Um, here in this plan, you can also get a glimpse of some of the proposed landscaping, the street tree landscaping, as well as the uh, traffic circle facade and some of the additional proposed stormwater features. The architectural renderings remain the same from what you saw in the preliminary plans. Um, this is just an overall street view of what the proposed development would look like. Um, and these are some of the architectural renderings of the proposed homes that would go within the development itself. Um, the proposed park detail has not changed from the preliminary plans. This is the same proposed park detail with uh, a crosswalk being located in front of the park, a walkway inside, additional improvements to include uh, benches and a, and a children's play area as well as street lights outside of the park. Um, the proposed lighting plan is something the applicant had updated from the previous plan. I think the previous iteration that you saw uh, consisted of uh, roughly 60 street lights within the entirety of the development. Uh, the applicant has revised that based on what they believe their needs would be for this development. So we're going from uh, 60 streetlights to 28 streetlights. Highlighted here in yellow are just the proposed streetlights as part of the, uh, the top portion of the project or phase one and a portion thereof, phase two. Um, and then we move down to the second portion of the project and these are again highlighted in yellow. The proposed uh, street lighting improvements for the second portion thereof for the development. Um, and then just again, this, this area is located uh, as designated by the comprehensive plan maps, the Graysonville planning area. 
and you can see located in this area that the property is in the county and town planning areas and the designation for it within the comp plan again is medium density residential which is comprised of two to eight dwelling units per acre typically and that's all i have for you if you'd like yes what is the height restriction in this district the GPRN does not have a height restriction per se. It's, it just states within the code requirements that the um, planning commission should develop or uh, approve of the bulk standards within the district. So the, the standards as far as setbacks, uh, lot minimum, uh, lot width, those are things that the planning commission has the authority to make decision on. So whatever you see fit as far as a height restriction for a building would be what the height restriction would be for a building. So that's... I don't know, Kevin, if you wanted to touch on the proposed uh, buildings. It looks like nothing. obviously nothing's over two stories, so I don't know if you have an idea of what you would feel comfortable with as far as building height restrictions. Sure. Thank you. Uh, Kevin Sharon, DMS and Associates. All of the proposed houses that have been presented to the Planning Commission are two stories, um, and so I would, I would feel comfortable putting a number of 30 feet on as the maximum height for the, for the proposed houses. What kind of price range these houses are going to be in? <clears throat> Very good question. Um, only because uh, this has been driven, if you look at the history of the project, Mr. Priest, you can see that it's gone through many iterations since 2005. And the reason for that is after the crash of 2007, the dynamics and methodology of subdivision and land improvement has totally changed, as bank financing criteria has also totally changed. Uh, consequently, uh, I represent uh, Walter Properties, the owner of the property, as well as Elm Street Development, who is a developer, but neither one of those people will be the actual person constructing the home. So Elm Street has gone out to enter into a contract with home builders to actually, in pre-2007, the home building company would go out and do the development. They would get the financing. It took many of those corporations down when you had the downturn in the development. Financial institutions are no longer doing that. And the builders are no longer primarily, um, KHOB being one exception, but most of them are not doing the actual acquisition, development, and building. So Elm Street went out, secured a builder to go and to uh, purchase the lots. They end up coming up with what they want as far as uh, the plans uh, for the structures to go in that residential community. Uh, that was done um, after the fallout post-2007. The original developer or builder backed out. Elm Street had to go back and find someone new. So it's it's been a moving uh, criteria. These were developed at the time we got the concept plan approved going for the additional lots. And they were approved back in 2016, 2017, because the builder thought that this was something 
that could be marketed in Queen Anne's County. The theory was that it would probably be something that it would be an affordable product that would start in the high fours with extras would bleed over to probably into $500,000 plus. Um, That is still where they stand today. Um, And hopefully the market is still, quite honestly, shaky. You know, we have not recovered here on the eastern shore from the total effects of uh, the crash in 2007. But as we slowly began to recover, then all of a sudden we've got the phenomena with the Bay Bridge traffic that is just um, uh, no one knows where the market is. But certainly our plans currently... The subdivision division has been designed for this product. This product is going to be in the high fours, bleeding over maybe to over $500,000, and that is the plan today. It's a little pricey for looking for what we're looking at, I think. Personally. Well, you know, it, it, it's pricey, but the problem that you have is that the the water and sewer for this project is well over a million, million five, something like that for sewer allocation. You know, when you start adding in all of those numbers, um, it's pricey by historical Eastern Shore standards. It's still well under Anne Arundel County and counties on the Western Shore, and I would say products like this probably are $100,000 more anyway on on the Western Shore. Quite honestly, you've got to be $100,000 under what the Western Shore price is in order to make them come across the bridge. And it's a simple fact that we're still dealing with, and, and who knows what the marketability is because of the current um, instability caused by traffic conditions, much less coronavirus health issues and everything else that's going on in the world today. But... Um, um, That principally is why this is a phased development, is because bank financing, both from the acquisition and construction standpoint, as well as from the build-out standpoint, from the builder side, banks aren't financing big projects. They'll do it in in component pieces, but that is it. And and let me just add one thing, um, uh, a comment on what Brennan said about the lighting plan. The lighting plan was modified by the most recent builder who thought they didn't need that number of streetlights. Candidly, I think maybe we've gone from too many streetlights to too few streetlights. So I would make a caveat that we would agree for the Planning Commission to say that we would have the number of streetlights in there that the Department of Planning and Zoning determines uh, in their best judgment is applicable. Thank you. Mr. Foster, Thank you, Mr. Mr. Snow, Foster. would you mind for the record yes, uh, Michael, introducing yourself? Excuse me. Michael Foster, uh, attorney for Walter Properties as well as Elm Street Development. Thank you, sir. I didn't want to interrupt. Uh, Mr. Tarleton, has the department had any discussions um, to, to Mr. Foster's point about increasing that number? Do you, Have you identified potential locations it, or are you have you not gone down that far in the pathway yet? Discussions. 
Um, I have, uh, very briefly, I, I spoke with Kevin uh, based on the proposed revised plans for the street lighting and expressed some of my concerns based on um, some of what was provided. If I can go back to these slides, bear with me one second. Um, if you can see on this sheet, there's uh, several areas where the actual crosswalk overlays are shown. And if you look at the lighting in those areas, there's some of those areas that actually don't receive any immediate lighting. Uh, my uh, Main concern with that was that we should be providing adequate lighting at all crosswalks since this will be a, a walkable community. There will be sidewalks involved in this. There's a recreational area, so therefore kids will be using the streets and sidewalks. Um, so, uh, you know, I proposed that to Kevin, and, and Kevin said that, you know, they thought that was a good idea. Unfortunately, the, uh, the top portion here doesn't have that sidewalk overlay, so I couldn't really judge. Uh, well enough to know whether or not there were adequate, adequate street lighting in this area. Um, so I, I think maybe we can work through further to, and get some good ideas of, of where more lighting is necessary. And my proposal was to add that additional lighting into those areas where there'll be foot traffic mostly. And we're, we're willing to do that. We, um, the, the original plan was laid out basically just on a, a foot increment of how many street lights, you know, per the, the length of the road. Um, and the ho home builder came back and said that a lot of times in communities they wind up getting complaints from homeowners that the light, the street lights are too bright, everything's shining into their lights. So it's a it's a fine line, it's a balance between too many and too few. Um, this was the proposal that the home builder came up with, and like I said, we're certainly willing to to work with the county to either move them, add more, or whatever needs to be done to um, to come up with a, a well, compromise. The, the fallback is what what the county requires really correct uh, um, how many more lights would the county require um again the the lighting is actually part of the gprn standards which is a decision allowed to be made by the planning commission themselves so if you have an amount that you see fit for here personally i haven't done enough analysis on the actual plans themselves to give you a numerical value of what i feel comfortable with i think ultimately redesigning what's already existing there for the 28 lights to to put lighting in adequate areas and then working backwards from there would probably be um, the best way to figure out that number, but unfortunately, without doing that and having a little bit more engineering, I don't know that I could give you a number right now that we would feel comfortable with saying is the end-all, be-all for the project. I think it would be um, good to be able to look at a, a new iteration of this lighting plan that proposes lighting in the areas that we feel would be safest. Mr. Priest, if I may suggest, instead of us today trying to put little additional yellow dots around that, I would say again that, you know, Planning and zoning, we had an original lighting plan. We're happy to share that with planning and zoning. Whatever they determine that they think is necessary and adequate, we're happy to comply with. I should point out that we do get, by we, I mean the department, has gotten complaints from folks about street lights, that being too many in some of the Ken Island um, communities that were approved some years ago. The general rule is you're going to get complaints if you don't have them, and you're going to get complaints if you do have them. That's the fine line. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, the original the original plan was 60 lights wound up being about one for every two and a half houses. So it was clearly overlit. Um, this may be a little bit underlit, and I think we'll be able to find a compromise. That's something we can leave up to the discretion of the director of the department. Yeah, uh, any other another, questions? Uh, another unintended consequence of all these great plans, for example, is that do we get complaints about street trees after a while busting <laughs> up the sidewalks? And 
most of the most of the time sidewalks are not in the county maintenance um, obligations, um, which I assume would be the same thing here. So if, if all the street trees start busting up the sidewalks, it's going to be the HOA's problem. Moreover, we've had HOA's complaining about the cost of the electricity for the street lights. <laughs> so plant a tree underneath the light. <laughs> right. All right. Any other questions for staff, the applicant, or the in, in the lighting? Ahead, is there a amount of light? I mean, we're talking about too much light, but simply put a dimmer light. Uh, well, you can do that. You can also the day, it's, in the lighting itself, you can actually put little deflectors so that if there's a house and a window there, you right. can, you can channel that. There are options. I'm not, I'm not saying. I just don't think it's necessarily the number of lights, but the amount of light that you're getting. I, I think it's all the and above, correct. Work that. Yeah. All right. Any other questions for the gentleman at the table or staff? Any other public comment about the proposal that was just proposed, for lack of a fancier word? Um. So the, the uh, planning commission is clear. The applicant proposes to do something that's a little bit um, unusual uh, for our county, and that is while it seeks final subdivision approval for all 156 lots, that is all three phases, um, it wishes to um, record only the phases as it's ready to proceed with the phases. For, for example, um, while all 156 would be approved, it's the applicant's um, intention to record a plat for only the first 46 lots, which is phase one. Uh, and then when it's ready to move on to phase two, with, its, with the final approval, if it's given today, submit a phase, plat, a phase two plat to uh, planning and zoning uh, for signature. And there are the reasons for that should not escape the Planning Commission. It has to do with sewer, sewer allocation costs, uh, bonding and sureties, um, stretch out the, the expenses of it so they're not all, not all up front. Uh, I've indicated I don't have a problem with that approach. Um, we can be sure that as the phases are added that the um, Conditions that must be met will be applied to each phase. Public Works Agreement would um, be extended essentially geographically as phases come on, that sort of thing. And if, and if I may add an additional comment on that, um, I, I think that uh, his, historically a lot of jurisdictions do allow phase subdivision. The problem with phase subdivision from a county perspective, is if you go in there and simply do the first phase and then abandonment, do you have an absolute mess after that? So um, on the other hand, you don't want to be able to market in phase two until you have a recorded plat for phase two. What we have proposed here is that we want to show you a comprehensive plan because the county has had experience, and Mr. Drummond's been up here, where we have dealt with subdivisions that have added another five lots, another five lots, another five lots, and they have been horrible subdivisions. So you need to, you really want to do a comprehensive 
plan on what the subdivision is going to look like, and that's what we've done here. We will front load so that when we rec- when we record phase one, the entire um, uh, forest protection area. We will do all of those documents, and we will have them recorded for the whole subdivision. So the county will be protected up front, little things like axel decel lanes. That will be done up front with phase one. So basically we're protecting the county um, by saying that we will go on and record all those necessary documents, and and we get the corresponding protection of knowing that if phase one is successful, we don't have to come back in here for phase two approval and phase three approval. In the past, historically, developers could not do that. Um, like when I represented Ellendale, we had a dilemma that you had to go and either buy the allocation or you had no guarantee that you would get the sewer allocation. So you could do a phased subdivision, but the problem was you didn't know whether there was going to be sewer allocation for phase two. Back then when we had the gorilla in the room being KHOB coming in on four seasons, we didn't know whether there was going to be any between that and southern Kent Island. So it forced the developer to actually go on and record everything, and that's back in an era when banks would finance that, to do the whole subdivision at one time. In this particular project, the county came back um, about a year and a half ago, and when I say the county, the county commissioner sitting as a sanitary district, and they said, look, we've got these commitments to give you allocation for projects that have been sitting dormant. We're now beginning to run out of sewer allocation with the Route 8 expansion, We need to find out who's for real there and who's not for real. The end result was that we went in in September of last year. We executed a public works agreement with the county, different than the public works agreement that we're currently going through for this project. But it reiterated that we were doing 156 lots. We were going to do it in three phases, and they said we will hold this allocation for all three phases for what could end up being 36 months, but we had to put a non-refundable deposit down of $211,000. So we have put that 200, the county has that 211000 It's not coming back to us. If we walk away, it's the county's money. In return for that, they have deviated from their history in the past, from their past position, by allowing us to just pay for phase one as we record phase one plat. And then when we come back with phase two plat, we'll pay another six, seven hundred thousand dollars, whatever it is, for water and sewer on phase two, and then finally for phase three. So the county said we're going to give you within certain time parameters the ability to do that. We're taking advantage of that by coming back and I've gone over that with Mr. Drummond making this uh, pitch likewise for um, uh, under the adequate public facility and affordable housing. The 37 acres that is back there, and we have gotten an appraisal on, which was multi millions of dollars, far more than the payment in lieu of. 
and we have agreed to go on and to deed that to the county. Typically, you have oh, to deed. Well, to be fair, only if phase two comes on. Oh, right. this, I'm so getting to a that. Magic number there in phase one. Yeah, but phase one, we're underneath where we would be required to have any affordable housing units. Normally, then, as you go to phase two and three, you would end up having to build affordable housing units as you build out. We're not going to do that when we record phase two plat. We're going to give the 37 acres to the county. So, in effect, we're going to, from a developer's obligation, we're going to front load and deed that to the county at that point in time, even if we don't go to phase three. That's, that's fair. I mean, because they would only have to build 10%. That's accurate, Mr. Drummond. <laughs> 10% at the end of the, by the end of the project. And here, the, once they hit the magic number, which is 47, you'll notice phase one is 46. Um, when they got to number 47, it might trigger them to have to build one M MPDU. And then on and on throughout the rest of the project. So here the county gets 37 acres at number 47. And just to be clear, so the 156 lots, that, that number of allocation will be encumbered for sewer access if final approval is granted. Oh, it, it all, we already have that. Right. We paid that, that, that $211,000, so we have the right. commitment so for sewer. hold that. Correct. Those allocations for this build out um, and you've paid a deposit but not you're not fully paying for those until they're built I'm presuming when we record phase one plat we'll have to pay another four hundred and some thousand dollars for the remaining allocation for phase one for water and sewer and then when we come along and record phase two plat we'll have to re uh, pay those Five six hundred thousand dollars for that allocation at that point. Just not not to be scary or whatnot, but what happens should this not proceed to full build out with those that, those encumbered? Do they eventually come back to the county and in phase two? The allocation they don't get built out in full. There's a yeah. sunset provision. It's have maximum thirty six months. months. Okay, so if if the I hope it does, but if it does not, those uh, those numbers come back on the county Scott's side of the ledger right. to sell again. If, there, if there's a recession, we got big problems. You know, seriously. Seriously. Do I understand from that that your anticipated build-out is three years? Because your sewer allocation... Three years would not be the anticipated build-out, but it would be the anticipated time when we would record the plat Third. for phase three. And so the mitigation of of risk to the county on giving you the advanced sewer allocations of 211000 or whatever your deposit is, is gone once you've recorded the plot for Phase 1 because you're applying that to your Phase 1 cost for water sewer. To so the county no longer has any collateral, if you will, for Phase 2 and 3 on the advance sure. of the water and There's sewer. There's a 36-month deadline. Well, there's a 36-month deadline, but there's no money in Ms. the Ms. Tolliver, actually, there, there is other collateral that the county is getting. For instance, we have to put in a water pipe for a major water pipe, what, 12 inches, 12 for extension from Route 8 to the property. That 12-inch pipe is to serve 156 plus the other houses in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. That has to be up done up front in Phase 1. So... 
there are other front-end loading to the developer that gives the county some extra collateral, if you want to call it. But if we do get to the end of phase one and we can't go forward, the county simply, the allocation moves back its own by them. We lose any rights to water and sewer allocation, and we would have to go back and reapply for it if we wanted to do that. Aren't there some pump station upgrades, too, in phase one? Starts with phase phase two. two. Phase two. The vacuum station gets upgraded by the park. And fairly substantial improvements. And, again, that would be done at the beginning of phase two, plat being recorded, which would be anticipating phase two and phase three. Even if we don't go to phase three, that has to be bonded and done at the time we record the phase two plat. I have another question, shifting gears a little bit. It seems like I recall at one of the earlier meetings a couple, three or four years ago, that there was a some decorative uh, on the entrance to the to the project, and I could not find any drawings in that were given uh, showing any uh, build up of aesthetically. I'm talking about you mm-hmm. know brick columns or whatever to, to identify the. So there's is a being propo- anything being proposed. There is a uh, there's a uh, subdivision entrance sign uh, that'll be either stone or brick with a landscape bed in front of it, and uh, and then there will be a, kind of a boulevard section at the beginning of the subdivision, and then at the roundabout there will be a landscaped area in the middle of that, and then beyond that will be the the park uh, internal to the subdivision that will have amenities in it as well. Coming off of Prairie Corner Road, there will be some. There will be a landscaped entrance there with a, with a sign identifying yeah. the subdivision. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I would just like to speak briefly about the phasing plan. Could you go back to the phasing plan, Brennan? Um, we're, we're in support of the phasing plan. It's, it's re- a rather common technique in other parts and jurisdictions in Maryland and in other states. So we're, we're, we're comfortable with that. Uh, the, the risk of uh, a phasing plan, of course, is if phase one is built and phase two and three never happen because the market crashes or something. So what we always look at when we're evaluating a phasing plan is to make sure if it never goes beyond phase one that the phase one plan functions properly. So normally what you would see are um, cul-de-sacs at the end of the phases, so Brennan just put up the, the phase right. one picture. So as an example, you next. could see where the phase one line ends. Uh, practically, there should be a plan that shows a cul-de-sac uh, at the end of those as part of uh, the, the phasing plan. And that cul-de-sac should be part of the, the bonding for phase one. And it, there should be some type of time constraint placed on phase one. Because what we don't want to see happen is in 20 years, it still looks like that, where you have dented roads without an opportunity to turn around, and, and therefore it's not functioning uh, on its own. So I think there needs to be some provisions to the phasing plan that, that uh, take that into consideration if the project never moves beyond phase one. And, and actually, uh, I asked the Department of Public Works if they wanted those 
cul-de-sac shown in there. And we've shown a before where it shows a cul-de-sac and then it shows to be abandoned when phase two plat is approved. It's an easy way, and I think what Mike suggested is the proper way to go. I was told we don't have to do that. So I, I would ask that you do that. <laughs> and I'll, and I'll, I'll have a conversation with public. Okay. Members. And, and it, very easy for us to do with a plat yeah, notation. So, yeah. I would think the fire marshal would, would probably agree with that approach as well. Or school buses for, you know, all, public amenities. It's really just a paper document. I mean, we all have hope and faith that the project will continue through the other phases. This is kind of a safety provision if, fa- if nothing happens beyond phase one, and that's and what we're concerned about. I think about. good suggestion. And we, yeah, we don't, have a, we don't have a problem with that. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Any other questions for applicants, staff? More? Yes, Ms. Gazzari. Nancy Scazzari with Department of Parks and Recreation. So I've uh, been working on this with the applicants for quite a while, and a big key component for uh, Parks Department was connectivity. Um, I see that they, they've left the connectivity to Graysonville Park, which was, was uh, you know, a big part of it. They've included the park internal to their own um, subdivision, which was an ask, um, and that's great. Um, but I don't I, – I can't make out on there. It looks like wetland buffers – but at one point we had a trail that connected to Gravel Run Road. It's mentioned in the comments, but I don't see it on that plat. Correct. The, that um, trail was not the, – the trail originally to Gravel Run Road was to go over top of a uh, water line that was to loop to Gravel Run Road. Um, Maybe the, everybody should Brennan, be clear where show us Gravel where that Run Road is. Yeah. Top right. It's in the Very top right top corner right. of the property. Yeah. Where the – Phase – where the – yeah. Where the lot north of the lands to be dedicated to the county, and it was supposed to come in between those two lots. I see the space between the. I can't make up the lot numbers, but um, yeah, two eighteen, I guess. There you go. It's to the the top right of of that property. So originally, the the um, request by the county sanitary district was to bring the water line from Route eighteen down Perry's Corner Road into our subdivision. And then through the property to the to Gravel Run Road on the northeast side, um, it was determined that that looping was not necessary, and that was the path whereby we were getting permits for the utility, um, clearing the woods, that kind of thing, to put the trail through there or put the trail on top of uh, the water line. And when the water line uh, went away, that the uh, the trail also uh, went away in that location. Not to say that it can't be added later, but it, you know, phase two that would be the county's property, and um, a trail could be connected back to Perry's Retreat Subdivision. So, will we have the opportunity to review that again as phase two comes online? This is it. At phase two, the county would then own the the property where that path would go. And what you were just right. saying. Right. So um, there still is a path, Mr. Sheeran and Ms. Gazari, between. Let's say we don't get to. You know, build full build out, but there is a connectivity planned f- internally from your property to the north to get to the park. park. No, that, that was that was also discussed and abandoned because of uh, the the developer did not feel that it was good. It, it would be nice for the residents to be able to access the park, but they didn't so necessarily the want way. the other way around. 
We are providing a crosswalk and a, a sig not signalized, but signed crosswalk to get from the property over to the Seaback property okay. um, that would provide some connectivity for walking out to the Seaback property. So if a resident in this potential community, community want to go to the park, they would go out your boulevard, turn right on north on Perry's Corner, and, and right then there, access the right. through the through the main entrance of the park, if, exactly. the, if that's or cross no the crosswalk and and go into Seabag. Exactly, correct. Right. So, um, so what you just stated, Kevin, contradicts the notes here and and what we've worked out for so many years. So, uh, I'm just curious why we can't still get that connection to the park through your phase one. I'm not sure which notes you're referring to. Um, the, the notes in the staff report. Which page are you on, Nancy? Four. Four. Four is the four that I put in there is actually the historic notes from what's previously approved. That's not actually part of this plan here. I think if you look onto page three, it's located in the history section. It was the review. The review highlights that start at the bottom of page four and five is what they're proposing now, which doesn't include the connection that you're speaking of. So that was done away with in the preliminary plan, I believe, or some iteration of the plan thereof before my review. Okay. We, we know to be previously approved. So now my concern is you come out of the front entrance, you turn north on Perry Corner Road, there's no safe access pay, um, by that water treatment plant, the pump station there, into the park, and we've lost the connectivity through the subdivision, which I thought, I guess it's still... Um, a utility line that you show there between those lots. If you can go back to that um, plat that shows, um, it must be because I had them leave that section. See where it goes from their internal. That's, a, park. that's just a, a storm drain um, pipe that goes back to a stormwater management facility. Right, but originally when we asked for internal park and all, it was a, with a connection to the Graysonville Park. So now, how would one safely walk a, a Pedestrian or bicyclist from the subdivision into Graysonville Park or or beyond. There's no sidewalk along Perry's Corner. There's no sidewalk, but in there at the end. Right. <laughs> there is an diesel lane, yeah. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, that, like I said, that was originally planned. It was discussed, and it was removed from the plan. Um, so. Yeah, it was. It was approved with with the last approval, the preliminary approval, and then removed apparently. So. Well, maybe um, we can work together to put something. I mean, you've got that open space between the lots coming from your park um, north-south, and that's where it was intended to make that connection. So just, you know, hoping we can get that back. So that's, that's my comment. The connectivity, you know, we've lost that connectivity. So, thank you. Brendan, would you mind, would you overlay or go back to the slide you have with the uh, non-tidal wetlands, the green yeah, sort sure. of blobs? Wrong way. Yeah. There you go. So, so it's not Mr. Sheeran, looking at this, there seems to be non-tidal wetlands or potential stream, intermittent stream uh, in, Impacts if there were to be a connectivity in the future to the north to the park. Correct. When we when we had looked at that originally, and and keep in mind this map is just um, um, a generalization of wetlands. The wetlands have actually been field delineated, but 
to your point, Mr. Lee, there there is an intermittent stream on the east side of the property that then traverses the north side between um, the subdivision and Graysonville Park. Uh, when we were looking at that, the 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 impacts were going to be uh, crossing a stream, not only the stream but the buffer. And uh, it was looking like it was going to have to be a boardwalk in order to do it, in order to minimize the, um, the impact to the stream and the buffer, including some of the surrounding wetlands. And so um, not only did the, the trail go away there, but also the utility connections because of the impacts. We were originally planning on bringing the water line and the sewer line to the pump station through that direction also. Um, that was abandoned primarily for environmental reasons and a much more costly route going up Perry's, Perry's Retreat Road is, is what that is now. And it looks like there's the same same concerns, environmentally at least, going to the east to Gravel Run following those, you know, roughly delineated wetlands. Correct. Right. Again, you would have to cross that intermittent stream that's, uh, that's mapped. Thank you. One other item, uh, another question I have is the, uh, the emergency entrance. Uh, your access to this property, going all the way into phase three, is the single access off of Perry Corner Road. Uh, there was another, it was a line item here that said uh, the other noted access off of Perry Corner would be future emergency access depicted to the south. Is that... Uh, from a safety viewpoint, uh, fire equipment and so forth, uh, is that is that adequate or is that? Yes, sir. As as, as the subdivision grows, it's it's a good idea to identify other areas for a, another access. the The 156 lots is adequate to come in and out of one uh, point of ingress and egress. Um, future phases, in fact, the, the configuration of the dedication parcel to the county commissioners uh, anticipates a, a completely separate project from this one, but that would connect um, public roads from internally of the uh, Perry's Retreat subdivision up to Gravel Run Road, um, which would provide a, another access to that location. Uh, we are showing an access, a second access down onto Perry's Corner Road, but we don't control that property. And so that, that connection cannot be made at this time. There, there was a tax sale many years ago that that little oddball sliver of ground that goes from Talisman Farm from Talisman Farm area, this little sliver, I don't know where it came from, but it was a subject of a tax sale, and that is owned independently uh, by a third party. So we could not cross there. Um, and also, if you look right behind that, to cross there, that's where the original 168 lots or whatever was originally planned back in 2005. It actually showed another emergency exit down there, Mr. Priest, but you've got to go through the wetlands to get there also. So you've got separate ownership plus the wetlands that make it impossible to get that second access to Perry's Corner Road. Well, it just the initial re reaction here is that it looks like we're landlocked with one entrance. And if you had a an emergency 
on the front end of that thing near Prairie Corner Road, you, the other residents would be uh, hard-pressed to get out of there. The, the, would they not? Jody, you may want to... This is this uh, has been kicked around for about 15 years on this project. Uh, This business about a second entrance, and uh, many years ago, the applicant was asked to go back to the property owner of the sliver, see if something could be worked out. it, it didn't happen. People came in. Uh, we had folk come in to say that the one entrance was satisfactory. Mr. Preza, I will point out one thing. Where the main entrance is currently located is probably the highest topographically, the highest point on the entire land. It gets much lower as you get back in that towards the talisman farm. So, I mean, the the where the entrance is located is the best place for an entrance, and we are doing Axel D-cell work along there. And then ultimately, I think theoretically, when the county owns the 37 acres, they will be developing that in some fashion uh, for um, affordable housing or something like that, that um, uh, hopefully – you're going to have practically an entrance that's going to come back up to the ent- uh, the back of the lots on phase one anyway. Thank you for your answer. It's not what I wanted to hear. But, uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I, I just have a problem with that, quite frankly. Um, I'm not been, I have not been reassured that in case of emergency we've we've danced around this whole thing, Mr. Foster, and I. You're you're, you're a good dancer, and, and uh, <laughs> as an attorney, I respect you. Uh, but I I was hoping for a little better analysis of how we're going to get fire trucks in and out, or. An ambulance or other emergency equipment. Does anybody else have any problem with that, or am I just picking on the wrong? Can I, can I suggest something that maybe um, uh, in your approval, if you would like to have a caveat that says your concerns, I think, would primarily rest with phase three. Phase one and two are to the north, the northwest, close to the main entrance. Phase three is which takes the development in a south southeasterly direction. If you want to put in there a caveat that prior to recordation of any plat for phase three, that we uh, revisit the issue of an emergency exit and see what the possibilities are and discuss that with planning and zoning, we're happy to do that. Phase one and phase two, I don't think you need it. Yeah. No, I understand. I'm talking about the the build-out of the three phases. And then, Jody, I guess you're not going to comment on it. I could. <laughs> well, 
Um, Jody Schultz, Ken Allen, and, and I'm in here no way to be a representative of anything other than my experience at the firehouse. This is Graysonville's territory. I assume they had the opportunity to comment on that through the fire marshal, which he's really good about getting with us. I would just point out that <clears throat> we're loaded with subdivisions with one entrance. I mean, Gibson's Grant, um, Four Seasons, uh, Mallard Run, Kerwin's Land, everything's got one entrance. And, and you know, I would think the only time that would be fully blocked off is if there was some major fire right at the entrance where we're blocking the road. But I really can't think of that happening in my experience with the fire department. And we're conscientious of not, you know, kind of taking up the whole road unless it's absolutely necessary. So well, it would be nice yeah. to have another entrance um, in general on all these. But there be fire uh, hydrants throughout the community? There'll be fire hydrants and all the houses will be sprinklered also. Which is a big plus because you don't need, typically with, with a, a development that uh, has a public water supply, you don't need, you know, tankers and a, big, and a lot of these big trucks that, that typically take up the road and the need to shuttle in and out that kind of water supply. But, again, I'm not speaking for, for this is Graysonville's territory. But, you know, we're usually conscientious about blocking stuff up, knowing, kind of knowing what the deal is, you know. Thank you. I'll rush my, I'll rush my case. <laughs> Do I uh, recall correctly or not that the future emergency exit road was, was going to be um, built isn't the right word, but, uh, you know, you can put, uh, what's the word I want, when you put the gravel or the, the, the like support. grass block kind of permeable. Yeah, yeah so that. If a fire, if emergency equipment has to go over it, even if it's grass, or, or that they won't sink in the mud. I'm not being very technical yeah. about it. I, I get what you're saying. I don't think we'd really even gotten that far as to. What I thought there would. was talk about that, and then it would have to stop at the Van Buren property. But frankly, if there's a road there and there's a disaster, do you think some fire truck's not going to go go across that 15 right. feet and access that road if it's there? No. Yeah. <clears throat> I can comment on that, but that, that never happens. Why not? <laughs> Someone sees fire road, and you know well, it's, good it's ten feet off the road. So, to my knowledge, there is a there is such an access at um, the development going out of Centerville, I think, the big one, Symphony Village. Symphony Village. That was provided, and so who's ever driving that piece of fire equipment would have to know it's there. Well, you could mark it. And if it's a rainy day or if it's snow and it hasn't been plowed for access, you know, I doubt as a driver I'm going to take my 80,000-pound fire truck and drive it through an area that maybe I'm, just because it says fire access, you know, I'm not sure it's really going to be sustainable for a great big piece of equipment. So just having that, I mean, I, I can tell you that I, I don't know that that's ever happened. You know, so I would be really cautious about saying drive your fire truck over this piece of grass I just know that, there's a sign Mike, you might remember this there seems to me that happened in chester river beach in winchester winchester <clears throat> we there was an old platted street partially built in an earlier phase of chester haven beach and we left open an area between two lots Just and did put a sub base in. Yeah. Um, 
but it's never been used, and it's now has kids' playground equipment and other stuff involved. Oh, okay. so, <laughs> All so, right. Well, maybe it's not a Reverting problem. back to nature. Huh? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we want a nice road to drive on because, you know, bad weather, it's it's a crap show sometimes. I'm just, you know. There's a technical term. <laughs> <laughs> Any other public comment? Thank you, Mr. Schultz. Uh, anything from the board? All right. I will open the floor to comment or to a motion. I move that we resolve that the Planning Commission regarding the request by Walter Properties LLC and Elm Street Development to combine four existing parcels into two parcels, donate parcel 45 to the county, and subdivide parcel 201 into 156 single-family lots using the cluster subdivision technique as part of a planned residential community in Graysonville and is more particularly described in Department of Planning and Zoning File Major Subdivision Plan 1405006, hereby finds, one, the plan conforms to the comprehensive and Graysonville community plans in usage and density, two, an annexation, a donation of land to the county for MPDUs has been approved previously, and three, the plan avails avoids um, building on sensitive environmental areas and hereby grants final subdivision approval with the following conditions. One, the administrative subdivision 1803008 must be reviewed, signed, and recorded prior to the Planning Commission signature of this major subdivision. Two, the Forest Conservation Plan FCA 05-1803-008 must be reviewed, signed, and recorded prior to obtaining Planning Commission signature of this major subdivision. Three, the updated a uh, adequate public facility school mitigation is reviewed and approved by the APF Commission prior to the final signature of the major subdivision. Four, the placement of traffic lights be designed to illuminate intersection and crosswalks and the number and placement of lights be subject to approval of planning and zoning staff. Um, five, that the height of buildings shall not exceed 30 feet. Six, that the conditions of this subdivision be applied as the plat for each phase is approved and that documents for all provisions other than housing be filed and satisfied with phase one, the plat for phase one. I've lost track of my numbers now, five, six, seven. seven. Road designs for each phase be subject to approval of planning and zoning to ensure that traffic flow for each phase be safe and self-contained, including as appropriate cul-de-sacs for turnarounds at street ends. Eight, um, any remaining edits and or documents required by the Department <coughs> of Public Works and Department of Planning and Zoning be reviewed and approved. Nine, all required bonds as sureties, review and inspection fees must be submitted to the Department of Public Works and the Department of Planning and Zoning as appropriate. Ten, any required legal documents must be approved, signed, and recorded. Eleven, the MPDU de dedication per the legal agreement document is approved by the county commissioners. All required bond sureties, review, and inspection fees must be submitted to the Department of Public Works and the Department of Planning and Zoning as appropriate. And 
whatever the last number is, all required signatures must be obtained. <laughs> if there's a motion, is there a second? There's a motion and there's a second. Further discussion? All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Abstentions. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Thanks for your time. Thank you all very much. Welcome. Uh, I'd like to take a 10-minute break, please. So at 10.20, if we could return to uh, session, to the meeting. Thank you. I'd like to call back to order the uh, 2020 March 12 meeting of the Planning Commissioners. Mr. Drummond has asked for the floor. I um, received uh, an email this morning at 9 o'clock, just as I was talking about House Bill 1390 from um, Kevin Canale, who is Associate Director at MACO. MACO is acronym for Maryland Association of Counties. Uh, he says, Chris, I'm very confident we've killed this bill in ECM, Economic Matters Committee. I do not expect the bill to move out of committee. Good news. Thank you for the update. All right, on to extension requests. We no longer need to review Perry's retreat. So next up, Major Site Plan 05-10-02-0005, Kent Narrows Hospitality, Inc., Holiday Inn Express. Um, they're asking for an addition to their existing hotel of 25 rooms, and today they're before us seeking a request of an eight-month extension, DMS representing... Uh, thank you. Uh, Tom Davis of DMS. Um, we've been working on this project for a number of years. Uh, the uh, Planning Commission had granted several extensions, and we've been updating uh, periodically uh, over the last year and a half, two years, on the status of it. Um, we have submitted, and the county did issue the grading permit, and Jim and Jim DiDonato and uh, the Canaris Hospitality have secured their architectural plans, and they've been submitted to the county permit office for an initial code review. And the next step is to apply for the building permit, uh, as, as outlined in my letter, with the goal of having the building permit uh, application filed here in the next month or two. Permit issued during the summer, start of construction in the fall, when there are uh, busy times of the hotel, um, you know, slack off. So... Um, the idea is that we asked for eight months because of the timing from the to, to date right now and, and getting that start of construction going on. So uh, Jim can elaborate. He does have an updated elevation rendering of the building. Uh, and as I indicated, the architectural plans have been submitted to the county permit office for uh, an initial code review. Once we get those code comments, um, then we'll finalize the building plans and submit for the building permit application. So. Jim, Jim, any, any questions that you have, I'd be glad to answer. This project has been extended for 10 years now. And I've been here for several of those extensions, a number of which, some of which were for economic reasons, some of which were for competitive projects that you were working on that made this a lesser priority. Lots of different reasons all the time. We're now dealing with a, a health crisis uh, that may have an adverse impact on tourism, not only here but everywhere. 
and we're looking at another request for an eight-month extension. I mean, I'm, I'm wondering on behalf of the county and my colleagues if we don't make a mockery of the extensions to, to be doing this for 11 years, essentially, and at a time when the likelihood <coughs> of your market improving is not good. Can you help me feel a reason why we should continue to extend this project rather than go back to the drawing board at, <coughs> at this point? Uh, that's, that's a great question, absolutely. Um, so when we first, it hasn't been 11 years of, of uh, and it is a little complicated because of the, the situation it is. We, we, initially it was economic. It wasn't, I don't believe it ever was that, that it took a second seat to, um, another project that we're working on. We committed, um, I guess, several years ago to work through the process. What complicates it is that if we could build it without any oversight from the Holiday Inn or the IHG, it would be, it, we would not, that adds an, an enormous obstacle because we have to have everything approved. In order to have the flag of Holiday Inn Express, we, we have to get their approval. And it's due every, every, the license agreement is only good for 10 years. So when we decided to move forward with the process uh, several years ago, again, um, we had to go through a relicensing, which mandates a renovation and also mandates them to oversee the plan. If we were building it for ourselves like any other building, that we, 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 we are the oversight. We pretty much could build what we want. In this particular case, what we, the extension that we had last time, uh, and I and I I was felt pretty confident that we would be at permitting. What the, the reason that we're asking for this extension now? And we do we do expect at this point to to move forward with it regardless. I mean, I it's my hope and my thought that what's going on now is hopefully overblown uh, and that it will pass. But uh, who knows? But in eight months? No, no, no. I mean, the, what's going on in the world with the virus? So much. That's yeah. what I mean too. Yeah, I don't know. But what we need to do is is we're really we've got the plan, and I brought them in case anybody wanted to see them, so that you didn't think it was lip service for me not working on them. Um, one of the uh, so now we've gotten through the IHG approval process. We've we've got the plans approved by them. One of the, the so the other complication of the site is because it's a fill site. It has to it has to be put on pilings. We submitted the plans in February to the county for, through planning and zoning for um, comment because it's not, it's not easy to modify the building should we be required to based on a comment once the pilings are in the ground. They, we would have to drive more piling. So should there be any, comp, which we have not received comments back from the county yet, from MDIA or the fire marshal, but should they request something from us from a, from a design standpoint that would alter the footprint of the building even slightly we would have to go back and redesign our structure so right now we have it all ready to go with the exception as of we're waiting for the comments to come back from the county once we review those comments preliminarily we can make any adjustments to the plans we need and then we could turn around and resubmit you know modify the plans and resubmit those to the county for for permit pay our fees we've already paid our student order fee we've already posted our bonds so we're not so much asking for an extension because we, we, we don't want to do it. It's just it's been a very complicated process up till now. So we're not intended to make a mockery of the planning commission at all. I mean, that's 
certainly well, not one. I mean, it says here October 14, 2010 was the first extension that was granted. That's 10 years. That was, that was on the conditional approval, and there were several extensions on that. And then in, I think, 2015 or 16, they posted the bonds, paid the fees. So all of that paperwork, um, you know, was implemented. And as we, we indicated, we have uh, been issued the grading permit, and he is in the process of applying for the building permit. So there has been ongoing work. If the Planning Commission denied the extension, we would just have to go back through a site plan review process, which would kind of waste a lot of staff time, that, and they're already busy, as you can see, from all the projects. So nothing in the code has changed since the original approval that would not allow this building addition to be constructed. So, uh, Let me so. just wasn't the original plans uh, for the expansion of a conference room and not 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 additional sleeping rooms? No, it's always been room. It's always been rooms. Hey, pardon? It's, it's always been an addition always been, for additional room. Okay, I yes. didn't recall. Uh, yeah. uh, but like I said, it, the the denial of this extension would just have us go back through a whole process, which would take up a lot of staff time. That I, I don't think is warranted because. It wouldn't really change the project before you. So. To Ms. Tolliver's point, though, um, it, you've been asking for one-year extensions, and with things that are out of your control, you seem to be getting more of those out-of-control things under your control, uh, if I'm understanding Mr. Dinata correctly, with, with his franchise agreements. Um, is that eight-month give you confidence even should things that are outside of your control? I mean, why, why eight months? Why not another because year? Because that would give us the start of construction in the fall when they want to, to start construction. That, that's all that You was don't foresee on. that extra four months to ask for a year extension? I'm just I'm curious. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to relay some fears that I'm perceiving at the other end of the table. If all of a sudden, heaven forbid, the county office building closes down, per some policy that we can't foresee, does that handcuff you and you'll be back in here at eight and a half, seven and a half months asking yeah. for another extension? I don't know. I mean, the direction I got was to ask for eight months because they felt that they would be under construction by that time period. So, You know, we we we, we view it as, I know the, the, the we, we have an approved site plan. We've paid for our snow water. It's completely paid for. The only thing that we have left to do is pay the county for the when we apply for the permits to pay the impact fee and the permit fee, which we are we have received those amounts. However, I can't pay those in advance to the county without a permit. So I, I just with the drawings, you know, we were hoping not even to be here to ask for another extension. What what we're looking at is at what point does the does the project become? Uh, it's approved. It's paid for. Nothing has changed with the you know. Um, you know, we've spent a lot, and again, it's just part of the business. We spent a lot of time and money getting to this point. Um, we have a set of plans. It's into the county. I think the 12th, February 12th is, I think, when we submitted it. So it's been a month. We haven't had, we don't have comments, but we can't control that. Not, can't control that. Um, the, um, but we paid for everything. So the only thing I haven't done is go out there and put a shovel on the ground. So if I pull my permit, you know, if, if we get the comments back, which let's assume we get them back in March, if something that if we don't and, and everything's good and it takes us another month to solidify the plans, then I apply for a permit. I've I've would have paid the impact fee, which is not refundable, paid the sewer and water fee, which is pretty much every I've done everything. The only thing I haven't done is put a shovel on the ground. So really, 
um, the eight months is, I think, from the way I think I understand it's written, we have to have substantial start. But, I mean, I think I would assume that me paying all the money to the county that's not refundable is a substantial investment for my part to do that. So my thought is is that once we get the, it approved, then we will go out there and drive pilings in the ground. We have to start in the fall because it's only prudent. Yes, you're right. We are The industry is taking a hit right now all over. Um, but the slow time is, is the fall. So it's prudent for us to start. And that's where the eight months came because – was it March, April, May? So we were thinking like October, November is when we would start start driving pilings because it's a little bit, you know, it shakes the building. It's a little bit invasive. I guess the question we ask is at what point in time is it substantially started? You know, if it's if it's that, then then that'll that's what's going to happen. That's where the eight months came from. At this point in time, the only holdup uh, that that we would see that's out of our control would be if yeah, if the county did not issue the permit. Because I mean, you know, the architect is going to finish the drawings, um, and then it's contract work, uh, unless there's some labor shortage or we do have something happen, which I think would be unfounded. But that would be out of our control. If if something, whether the virus spreads or something happens or that's way out of our control, I don't know. You know, we're we're not planning our business on that happening. If that does happen, I guess we would. Yes, we could probably come back and say, hey, guys, we, we wanted to start, but in light of what's happening in the world, we can't. But I think that that would not well, be the With reason. all the uncertainty you got going on right now with the virus and what could be happening, situations out of your control. I mean, it's just like the travel ban and things that uh, could happen even in the state of Maryland or wherever. Um, we could be in isolation uh, a quarantine. Uh, I mean, I mean, things. We just don't know from day to day what's going to happen. What would be prohibit us from going with Tom said and, and giving a year's extension? Anything? Nothing. Well, I'd like to make a motion that we uh, extend this for a year. Could we have a point of discussion on that? Absolutely. Or, uh, um, several months ago, we had a project before us that's now under construction in the Nesbitt Road area uh, for housing, moderately priced housing. And I recall your concern, Mr. Priest, about the the length of time, which was less than this, that that project had been lingering because they had water and sewer allocations and you were concerned that those weren't weren't free for other people to use. And I remember that when you made the, when we made the extension approval for that project, you um, inserted language that required them to actually um, perform within that extension time or have the project um, be removed and have to start over. And they did, and it built, it's almost constructed. I mean, it's almost completed, really. They, they finished in that time. I'm wondering, though, yeah. if that standard that you wanted for that project should be applied at some point to this project because it's been so long that it has been so there's been such a high number of extension requests. I'm not saying they're not legitimate. I'm not saying that you're not coming in goodwill. I'm just saying that planning, you know, is is kind of a farce if you if you plan for something and then for ten years you don't, you know, execute something that you've approved at, at, in an earlier in earlier stages. And um, I'm just wondering at what point. Um, so. well, I, th- I think that project uh, 
Miss Tolliver was longer than 10 years. I don't remember, but it was seemed like to me it was like 15 years, 18 years. <clears throat> I'm talking not, not this project. I'm talking about the one she was referring to. I don't to. think it was that long. But I think the difference there was they were holding a certain amount of allocation, whereas Jim's paid for his in, in its entirety. Okay. So I think that there's a little difference Remember. in those two projects. They they had a conditional approval <coughs> where they were holding a certain amount of allocation in reserve, or the Bam. county was, and I think that was part of it. This they've actually paid for the the sewer and the water. So. Well, and if I could say one other thing too, and this is. Um, this is a commercial property, which is going to pay a lot of tax revenue to the county. There's additionally, uh, there's a room tax that gets paid to the county. So, um, I think it has a high benefit from from a from a tourism um, perspective. You know, from a, you know generating revenue to the restaurants at the Narrows, and 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 that's really where. And, and I, Jody's still here. I mean, I know he's on the Kent Narrows board, and the Beacon studies was done, and that's where you you know the growth at the Kent Narrows is what generates most of the tax dollars for the county. I, I mean, if we if 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 I mean we we do want to probably if I could go back, yeah, we probably started the project a little too soon, I think, and we just happened to catch the downturn, which which was not insignificant, you know, and and so and that lasted what six or seven years. So I think a good majority had, had that happened, had we not got the project approved right before the, we probably would not have gone through with it at all, and probably would have started up, you know, once the you know really at the time we rekindled the project is probably when we would have started it. So I think a, a large, you know. However, you know, it's our intent to 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 build the project, and and because there's a need, um, and to gen which will generate a substantial amount of tax dollars for the county. I mean, so we're really, um, I think, what's evidenced by our performance is we've paid. We're, we're not asking the county to forego any money, or you know, we're just talking that. about time here. And I think that, uh, you know, I I would apologize that it has taken so long, but. This is obscure for us because we don't typically answer to really anybody but ourselves. <laughs> I mean, other than the bankers, I mean, we don't. Well, there's always God. When we design something, we don't. We usually say, "What do you think? Yeah, looks good. Build it." And we we just can't do that. We have to ask a plethora of individuals who've never built anything ever what their opinion is of it, since sort through their comments, which are. Mind you, on your record, Mr. DiDonato. <laughs> <laughs> But no, if they're all on board, I mean, they, and they wanted to, why? They wanted to because it's revenue for them. I mean, it's, I think there's a motion. I'll second. The, motion I'll second the, the motion. Okay. I'll second the motion, and then after this, I'd like to make a comment. All right. There's been a motion. There's a second. Is there a further discussion? The motion is for a year. Is this for the year or the eight months? The motion yeah. was for a year. The motion was for one year. Motion f and second. So all in favor of a one-year extension to Kent Harris Hospitality, say aye. 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 Any opposed? Any abstentions? Mr. Donato, you have a one-year extension. You. Ms. Tolliver. I would like to request that the issue of the commission's policy on extensions be revisited as an item in the comprehensive planning process um, when we look at our our own policies with respect to extensions, and that we discuss more fully, not only in the context of this project, you just happen to be the seat, seated at the table today, Absolutely. but we've had many projects come before us that have been extended for many years and for various reasons. And I think we need to look at um, 
the period of time and the, no, and the kinds of reasons for which we should consider extending projects um, in a context that is not particular to a pre- specific project but to the, the principles generally. I mean, there is a reason that there is a time limit on plans, approvals, and things. And, and um, I think we need to look more fully at what that was and why and, and under what specific conditions we should consider. Um, just to be clear, that's really not a component of the comprehensive plan, but that's something that's a policies and procedures manual issue that you have that we can uh, – distribute to you, let you review it, and make any recommended changes. But that's not a comp plan item. Well, it's the only time we u- we generally have to. You could. I don't can, think we've. I've been provided at least with a copy of the policies and procedures, right. and I don't think they're online. So maybe it would be helpful if we had them so we sure. knew. Every case is different. Every situation is different. Uh, extenuating circumstances crop up. And I think these will all have to be evaluated and, and uh, before we act on it. That's the way I would look at it. But on each case, we do have the opportunity to deny it. So, well, I mean, I, I, I understand both sides. There, I, my guess is that there is a expectation in the development community that deadlines don't mean deadlines because they'll always get extended. So maybe we need to tighten things up a little bit. I think we've expressed that concern several times, and I think hopefully we're getting the message across that I hope so. it's well, not automatic. Th- maybe there are, maybe we just need to have some standards that we consider when we consider the extension um, and to see whether or not we're meeting our own standards. For nothing else than consistency and transparency and expectations. Yes. Right. 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 Or as Sharon says, give them a longer period of time up front and then not extend it. Something, you know. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Um, Miscellaneous staff items. So I uh, have a comprehensive plan update for you, and as I'm sure you are aware, The county has dissolved its contract with Smith Planning and Design, and we are now working with the uh, the consultant who was um, the second choice uh, rated by the selection committee to negotiate a potential contract to uh, take over the comprehensive plan update. I have nothing to report about that negotiation. Uh, The... um, the firm in question is right now reevaluating their submittal, and we expect to have that proposal soon. And I'm hopeful to have that consultant before you in April. So. Any other staff updates, questions, comments, concerns? Um, seeing none, hearing none. Uh, wait before yeah, we adjourn. Ahead. Excuse me. <laughs> I wanted to comment on the letter from Lane Engineering yes. about uh, Four Seasons. Mm-hmm. I, first of all, I wanted to um, thank the staff of Planning and Zoning, or Public Works, Lee Edgar, and also um, the Lane Engineering staff who did provide the modeling that we requested as a pre-approval um, request 
on this project. We didn't get the re- we didn't get the pre-approval request for this analysis because there was some question as to whether or not it could be done. And I'm pleased to see that it could be done, and it was done. Um, I did note, however, that the result of this was that three quarters of the um, storm water treatment um, facilities would fail under the um, projections, ultimately. Um, well, four, well, four of the eight would, would hold the water under the most severe um, scenario, and eight would not. The most severe scenario, which was the sky was falling, 2,100-year sea level rise and storm surge. Yeah. Uh, Right. And, and it, the um, analysis talks about how the stormwater facilities could be restored in the uh, case that they um, fail. But it doesn't talk about what happens to the, um, the homes there, the health and welfare of the people when they do fail and when, it, when the eight fail. Um, what happens to the the water obviously is going to be just surging above ground, and what what 's reasonable to expect would be the result of that the, uh, I can only tell you what was told to us at the hearing in front of the Board of Appeals when this was discussed a couple of weeks ago well, let 's back up. We probably should have mentioned the Board of Appeals the beginning on, on updates. We forgot about that. Ed, you tell him. The Board of, <laughs> the Board of Appeals heard the, the appeal from the last four seasons approval of Phase 2, I guess. Mm-hmm. Phase 2. The only um, um, a topic that was the subject of the appeal uh, turned out to be uh, the uh, Planning Commission's alleged failure to consider the effect of sea level rise um, on the on the on the phase two uh, portion of Four Seasons, with the allegation being that the Planning Commission therefore had failed to consider health, safety, and welfare appropriately, and that should be reviewed and and overturned by the Board of Appeals. Um, and so uh, Mike and I got uh, had prepared to discuss more generally uh, stormwater management issues, which is what we thought was the basis of the appeal. And we and the, we had the engineers from Department of Public Works ready to testify, and they did in fact give the Board of Appeals an overview of uh, how stormwater management works, uh, environmental site design. Uh, and uh, we learned a lot of acronyms, uh, um, ESD to MEP, which we'd explained to the Board of Appeals. Um, but they were gra- grateful for that. Um, and then we learned that that wasn't really what they were, what the appeal was about at all. It was about sea level rise. Um, the Board of Appeals ultimately rejected, the, uh, affirmed the Planning Commission's approval of the, of the uh, subdivision and site plan for Phase 2, finding that we haven't seen the written opinion yet, but uh, basically that the Planning Commission's decision was appropriate. 
So uh, we should have probably brought that. So as part of that testimony, that hearing that happened a couple of weeks ago, uh, under the worst case scenario, which is the the year 2100 sea level rise uh, elevation and high tide and storm surge, it's like everything uh, for the eight. Retention detention areas would would or fit for the twelve would fail. However, they did testify that none of the they didn't home say they would fail. They said that they would, would be, be inundated. inundated, inundated, and then once the water receded, they would go in and replant. But I was trying to get to the point. What was not none of the home sites would be impacted under that worst case scenario. They were all high enough that they would not be inundated. Uh, that's what their testimony was. Basically, yeah, it's their, not their in the analysis, weather. Yeah, right? it's not that's in the weather. That's what they testified to. They were the, certainly four of the twelve would be inundated, but none of the building lots, home lots, would be inundated. Stormwater facilities only. Stormwater facilities only. Correct. And the the expert for Queen Anne Conservation. I admit to. I, I didn't listen to all of it. I left halfway through. I think Mike listened to all of it. <laughs> uh, he had a different point of view, but um, but it mostly had to do with uh, tailwinds or not ta- uh, tailpipe something or other. Um, yeah, it was that has something to do with the piping? But anyway, hard to follow. I'll say that. Um, so okay. Well, thank you. Uh, where was I? Miscellaneous staff items, Ms. Tolliver. Uh, public comments. Any public comments to close the meeting today? Yes, ma'am. Please come forward. And I signed up on the sign-in sheet earlier. I guess it didn't come in. Does it matter where I sit? There's not. Okay, thank you. Introduce yourself, if you would, please. Yes, I will. I'm Barbara Obert, Stevensville. As you know, uh, many of you uh, know, uh, I filed a Public Information Act request for contracts, payments, communications surrounding the abrupt uh, suspension of the comp plan process, departure and departure of the consultant Smith uh, planning. Uh, the delays and added costs to the taxpayer are a concern and even more so the opportunity for relevant citizen input uh, in the new process and whatever time frame uh, may come out. This planning commission here and your two missing folks, Chairman Rice and Sharon Dobson, you were designated as the one and only committee for the comp plan process as opposed to a very integrated process last time that had 12 uh, subcommittees. Um, there was a public process taking place for this new plan. The consultant was experienced in Queen Anne County, does other projects, experienced in surrounding counties, uh, was well regarded and, uh, was working well with our staff. They presented before this commission at the last, uh, meeting, uh, and on camera received, uh, relevant input that they were going to go and take back and use to make adjustments. But after that meeting, the abrupt halt to the process and the release stating that due to no fault of the planning, of the planning staff specifically or Smith, um, raises questions regarding the other parties in this process and what happened, uh, behind closed doors and once the cameras were off to drive them, uh, from, uh, their contract and being part of the process. Uh, was it, uh, either of the other two parties to the process? The planning commission? 
an associated planning commission staff, or was it the board of commissioners? Uh, uh, um, Jim Moran is the liaison or other uh, commissioners. Uh, what happened behind closed doors? And that's why I filed an MPIA request for all the information leading to this, because it's important and it has impact uh, to us in the county. So far, I haven't received what I requested nine days ago. I'm hoping that will happen. I was told that the information's being got together. But we need to get to the root of the Planning Commission's uh, role in this departure. You know, it was stated repeatedly at the last meeting uh, that we are, we, you, are partners for the customer and the customer is the constituent. I am the constituent. I am one of many constituents. And I can state personally that in relation to Another process, um, uh, sometime previously related to the Planning Commission, I faced both derision and threats from folks who are currently still associated in this process. So that is uh, related to a planning and zoning issue, which flew directly in the face of the requirements of the comprehensive plan when I raised concerns about it. So that's all the more reason to get at what is behind this abrupt departure and uh, turmoil. I hope that when the new group is selected, um, that some of your comments last time to the process will be incorporated. They were relevant, but I hope that the information that's provided behind on what happened behind the scenes for this abrupt turmoil will be of value to the process moving uh, forward. You know, what or who has obstructed the process in this last uh, month or so? This is too important. And I hope that the uh, commission uh, will be cooperating. It's been nine days since my request. I can only assume that uh, you will be cooperating with my MPIA request and, and what I requested, including Chairman Rice, who is not here, and Sharon Dobson, who are not here today, but they're included as part of that request. Thank you. Ms. Over, thank you for your comments. And I don't know, Councillor, I think typically PIA requests, they grant 30 days or something. So please don't take the nine days as a delay or a stall. It, it does you, take time to you, obviously. You know what? Every, I've probably put in four MPI, three or four MPI requests over time, once every two years, maybe, over something that's very important. Only one. From only one did I receive the requested information. The other ones, I never received the requested information. And one of the guidelines from the state of Maryland for the MPIA uh, process is if information is readily available, and this is something that just happened. So the documents are there, the contracts. The amount of payment that was made already for the terminated contractor and then you're developing the new contract, obviously, so we don't know how much that adds to the cost. Those documents are, are readily available because it just happened. Maryland suggests that doing uh, so within a shorter period of time is appropriate within seven days or less is, is appropriate if the documents are readily available. So I was going on those suggested guidelines. And so I can only assume based on, uh, you know, the historic track record um, that there are other things at play. I, I hope not. But. Did you ask for specific records or are, are, you of a, are you of a mind to believe that there are some specific records that might shed light on the decision? 
I asked for, uh, yes, I asked for uh, everything related to the contract and uh, payments associated with uh, uh, Smith's design and planning and uh, uh, all documents related uh, since February, from February 13th onward related uh, to in which Ginny Smith, Smith Design and Planning were discussed between, among, and with Planning Commission, Board of Commissioners, and County Staff, anybody associated to that. So it was specifically uh, any time there was a discussion taking place from that period forward. So that's the recency I mentioned. Okay. Well, I hope that's be clear. Uh, the, she will get the documents that are responsive to a request. That's not what a request says, what she just said. Um, but we will get all responsive documents. That's not a re what a request says. You just... Uh, the way you just characterized your request is not the language of the request. I can pull up the language of the request and yes, and read it. Why don't, why don't you read us the language of the request? I was I'm just I was just trying you. to give her, to answer her question quickly. The county will respond to your request. Okay, thank you, thank you for pointing that out. And you do have the opportunity to read the language in answer to her question, rather than have me try to paraphrase. Thank you. Any other public comment? Anything from the commission? Hearing none, seeing none, is there a motion to adjourn? So moved. We are hereby adjourned. Thank you.